Good evening. If you could turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus, the second book of the Scriptures. We continue in our series through Exodus and particularly through the Ten Commandments. And as has been the case, our text this evening is exceedingly brief, but it is broad in its application. Our text is Exodus chapter 20 and verse 16, the ninth commandment. Hear now the very word of God. The word of the Lord is completely inerrant. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Lord, we ask that you would apply your word to our hearts. That we would give it broad application in our lives, in all that we do, as we speak to those who are close to us, as we speak to those who are unknown to us. That in all that we do, we would be known as a people of truth. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. Many of you know that before I was a minister of the gospel, I was a lawyer, a corporate lawyer. But what you may not know, before I was a minister, before I was a lawyer, I was a classicist. Now what is a classicist? It's someone who reads Greek and Latin and studies the ancients. And one of the texts that I studied that was one of my favorites, it's probably well known to you in translation, is the Aeneid. It is the story of Aeneas of Troy, who flees Troy after its fall to the Greeks, and eventually becomes the founder of Rome. Not himself, but through his descendants. And there is a scene in the Aeneid in which there is a goddess who seeks to hurt Aeneas and his troops. And so what this goddess does is she proposes to send a rumor ahead of Aeneas, a falsehood, to disparage him and cause him problems. And because this is a, an ancient Latin text, it's not just a rumor. Rumor is a minor goddess. Rumor is personified. And so this rumor, this minor goddess, this lie, gets up and goes off to spread a lie. And the significant part of this is before the truth can go, the lie is already well halfway across the world. You may recall that there is an old saying that says that the, a lie is halfway around the world before the truth can get up and get its shoes on. And it's sad to say that that does epitomize our world. Our world is a world of lies. The truth is not valued as it should be valued. But God is so marked by truth that he takes one of his ten words, the ten commandments, and 
bases it on speaking the truth. And so this evening we're going to talk about this ninth commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And in it we are going to talk about truth. As we have gone through each of these commandments, it should be very familiar to you by now that the commandments are not merely a bare prohibition against the narrowest interpretation of the text. The ninth commandment is much more than not giving false testimony in a court of law against someone who lives next door to you. I think sometimes that's how we wish we could interpret God's law, as narrowly as possible so we can show we can keep it. But no, this is about the truth, about speaking the truth, about standing for the truth, and following God's word. So let's begin then this evening by thinking about the truth and God. So God gives us this commandment about the truth, not lying, speaking the truth, because He is truth. Now, it is sometimes, I think, difficult for us to understand that. We think about concepts which are part of the character of God. Love, truth, justice. And we assume there is some ephemeral, independent standard of truth that somehow God comports with. That God is in line with abstract truth. But that is not true. That's not what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us that God is truth. Truth is true because it is in line with God, not the other way around. God is truth. It is His nature. You know this from one of the most famous verses in all of the Bible, John 14, 6. We use it all the time. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And again, we use it in our interactions with others. We say Jesus is the way. There is no other way of salvation. And in our evangelism, we point others to the cross and we say that Jesus has declared that he is the only way of salvation. We speak to others about what Jesus brings and we say Jesus is the life. You can only have life in Jesus. Eternal life is only found in Jesus Christ. It's not independent of Him. If you want to live, you must be in Jesus. Well, let's not forget that characteristic that's in the middle of those three words. Jesus says, I am the truth. Now notice He doesn't say, I'm true, or I speak true things, or I even always speak the truth. No, he says, I am the truth. And so when Jesus speaks, you know it is true because that is all that he can speak. There is no other way for God to speak. God cannot lie. Paul tells us this in Titus chapter 1 and verse 2. That God speaks salvation to us. God who cannot lie. Now stop and think for a moment about how significant this point is to you. Because if you by faith have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, you are staking your eternal soul on the fact that Jesus is the truth and cannot lie. Could you imagine if you died, and in 
the normal parlay, you came up to heaven and you were at the pearly gates. And it was asked, why should you be let into heaven? And you said, because I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you cite the scriptures that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that Jesus has died for you and you've trusted him. And at the gate, God said, well, that's all well and good, but you're not wearing brown shoes. Everyone who gets into heaven has to wear brown shoes. And you said, where is that? Everywhere in the scripture, it says that we have to only believe. And if God said, yeah, I know that's important. I'm sorry, it slipped my mind to tell you about the brown shoes. Now, it's, it's a silly illustration, but how would you look at the world and existence and your life if you thought it was even possible that God could lie? All of our life is staked on the fact that God is truth. And that truth comes to us for our good. The Apostle John tells us in John chapter 1, verse 14, that the law came by Moses, but Jesus was full of grace and truth. Truth comes by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this, I think, should not surprise us because lies are not just untruths, Lies are a sign of rebellion against God. If God is truth, then to lie is to be anti-God. There is no way around that. After all, what is one of Satan's designations but the father of lies? He is known as the deceiver. This is what Satan does. He rebels against God. And he does so by denying the truth, by shading the truth, and by outright lying. Think about this for a moment. All of the misery that exists and has ever existed in the world is a direct result of a lie. All death, all sickness... All harm and pain and sorrow are a direct result of the deceiver's lie to our first parents. Did God really say what you think he said? Are you sure? I don't think so. I think if you eat of this fruit, nothing will happen. As a matter of fact, it'll be good for you. You'll be like God. God wasn't looking out for you when he spoke to you. He was lying to you. That is the implicit statement from the enemy of our souls. And that is also the word of our age, isn't it? Did God really say? Is it really important to have lifelong marriage between a man and a woman? Can't we really have all different sorts of combinations? Is it really wrong to kill a child in the womb? Especially if we've got other things we want to do. Can't it be a good thing if we deceive others or steal from others, as long as we're doing it for the greater good? This is the way of the world. The world is all about lying. As a matter of fact, we don't even call it lying anymore. It's become a ruse. It's become a fantasy when a politician is caught 
bold-faced in a lie. And I, I use that example because typically when we lie, someone is not filming us and they can't play it back for us. But when someone is caught on film lying, they'll respond by saying something like, well, I don't remember it that way. Well, you know, mistakes were made. I love that, as if somehow mistakes rose up out of the ether and did things and were not responsible for what happens. They take us by surprise. It was the mistakes that overtook us. This is the way people treat the truth. Instead of just being honest and straightforward, human manipulation is a part of disregard for the truth. We do it for gain. Even the greatest among us, you remember Abraham. Abraham was afraid that they would harm him when he was with his wife, Sarah. And so he said to her, no, no, just, just tell them you're my sister. And I'm sure Abraham thought he was so very intelligent because there was a sense in which Sarah was his half-sister. So it wasn't a total lie. But it certainly was intended as a lie. Because the whole idea was to deceive others that she was also his wife. Think about Jacob. Jacob was shrewd, but he was known for being deceptive. And then I think perhaps the worst example that we can see in the scriptures is that of Judas. Judas deceived the disciples. He would have deceived our Lord himself, but our Lord was God and saw into his heart. A disregard for the truth leads to sin and misery. But there is also a covenantal context for this command. You will notice that it says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, I don't need to take you to the passage in which the disciples ask Jesus, who is my neighbor? Because what they want to do is they want to find out how narrow it is. Who do I have to be nice to, Jesus? Who do I have to help? And everybody else I can ignore. Give me my boundaries. And of course, Jesus gives them the parable of the Good Samaritan. It is the furthest that anyone could possibly think of someone being their neighbor. It's as if you asked me, who is my neighbor? And I said, members of Al-Qaeda. Or the Chinese Communist Party. Or the person who tried to get you fired at work. That is your neighbor. In short, everyone is your neighbor. Everyone is owed the truth. Not just your spouse, not just your children, not just your close friends. There is a covenantal context for this. And we see this in its application in the book of Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter 19, beginning in verse 15, the laws concerning witnesses are put forward. And we read, A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or any wrongdoing in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall a charge be established. Now this is a protection against falsehood in court. Now, we know that amongst men, there is no perfect protection. Because there were found multiple witnesses who came and testified 
with falsehoods against our Lord Jesus Christ. So if one man can lie, surely two or three could be found to lie as well. But the idea here is, we want to try to establish the truth as much as we can. The text goes on. If a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who are in office in those days. The judges shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil out of your midst. This is not very dissimilar to something in our system of legality called loser pays. If someone sues someone else and it is a, a frivolous suit, a groundless suit, a false suit, then the one who has launched the lawsuit has to not only pay all their costs, but all the costs of the other party. Because the idea is that this should never have happened. They have lied. They have broken the truth. This is important to God because God is truth. The second thing that I'd like us to see is the truth and us. How do we act in accordance with the truth? Well, I think the first thing that this commandment forbids is bad speech. Now, I'm using that intentionally because that is a broader category than merely lying. Now, of course, lying is indeed a sign of breaking this commandment. And telling the truth is actually a sign of the Christian. Paul puts it this way in his letter to the Colossians, the third chapter and the ninth verse. Paul writes, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. What Paul is saying is when you lie, you're not showing yourself to be a Christian. Because that's part of the old self, the sinful self. And you should put that off. You should put off lying and put on truth. And this is not just to be done in the courthouse, not just to be done when you are swearing on a Bible. No, it is to be done in private as well. We are to speak the truth. We saw earlier... In the Eighth Commandment, that God forbids stealing, that God cares about our property. And so I would ask you, what kind of God would God be if he cared about our property, but not about our reputations, but not about the truth about who we are and what we profess? So, bad speech... Lying is prohibited. But I think also along the same lines, the breaking of promises is also forbidden. When we break our promises, that is lying. When we have told someone that we will do something and we deliberately break our promise, then we are lying. Now, of course, there are occasions in which we cannot keep our promise. If I promise to drive my family to the beach and my car breaks down and I can't make that drive, that's one thing. 
But it's another thing to promise someone something and then to say, no, I just don't feel like it. I don't think you're important enough for me to keep my promise to you. That's a violation of this commandment. And have we not become a nation of promise breakers? Can you count on anyone to keep their promise? A company you buy something from. A politician. A judge. A company you work for. If there's an advantage to be had, it seems that everyone is easily taken with breaking their promise. They're not even apologetic about it anymore. It used to be when I was younger, if someone broke a promise, they would apologize first. Now, they get indignant if you bring up the fact that they've broken their promise. This is what the world looks like. And the good news for Christians is that that gives us yet another opportunity to be a city on a hill. To be different than the world. To be known as people who keep their word. Because we can break our promises too. You know what's one of the most broken promises in the church at large? It's a small statement. I will pray for you. And then how often do we make that promise and we forget? We don't write it down. We don't mark out time to do it. We don't follow up with the person to hear how they are doing and how our prayers have been answered. We treat it as a, a throwaway statement. But how is that any different than a company that says, this is guaranteed, this product for a year. And you come to them in three months and they say, no, 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 we're not going to fix it. You'd be indignant. How is it any different when we make that promise to fellow believers? Bad speech includes lying. It includes breaking promises. And it also includes evil speech. There is a time in which true speech can break this commandment. When we speak things that are true with an intent to harm or to hurt, we are violating the spirit of this commandment. It's what Peter talks about in his first letter in the second chapter in the first verse, that we are to put aside all evil speech, all speech that is intended to harm and to hurt. Well, if we are to put off bad speech, are we not also to put on good speech? Christians are to be marked as people who can be trusted to tell the truth. You have this experience in your own private lives. There are people that you will ask, very close to you, perhaps a spouse or a close friend, that you will say, give me your opinion about this. I trust you. You love me, you're not trying to hurt me, but you'll tell me the truth. We should be known as a people of truth because it's too easy to tell people what they want to hear as a way of keeping the peace or making ourselves look good in their eyes. You remember the old fable of the emperor and his new clothes? How the tailor made him new clothes that were made out of, quite frankly, 
nothing. And no one wanted to tell the emperor that he had no clothes. He would walk around and ask all the subjects, what do you think of this? Oh, sire, the best robes we have ever seen. You carry them so well. You look marvelous in these new clothes. And it wasn't until there was a young boy in the midst of a parade that looked at the emperor and said, he's got no clothes on, that everyone was ashamed. They were willing to keep that ruse, that falsehood, to the detriment of the emperor and themselves. So we as Christians should be marked as being a people who are trusted. Now, this is not a formula. We have to be careful when we speak as well as what we speak. Proverbs tells us that we are not to speak unseasonably. Proverbs 29 puts it this way. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. You don't need to tell everyone everything you know all the time. Oftentimes, that will get you in trouble. Everyone knows the humorous story of the husband who is trying to avoid getting in trouble as his wife walks in with a new dress on and says, Dear, does this make me look like I put on some weight? Now, be very careful how you answer. You don't need to say, you know, that really makes you look horrible. Now, you don't need to lie, but you don't need to speak unseasonably either. You don't need to give the unvarnished truth in such a way that is intended to harm. You could try to be encouraging. I remember I had a beloved professor at Reformed Theological Seminary, and he was the teacher of our preaching class. And sometimes it can be wearisome to hear young men start to try to preach. And men would go very long or they'd go very short or they'd forget where the text was. And a group of us used to laugh because he always tried to be encouraging. And so someone would get up and be all over the place and just a hot mess. And he would look them right in the eye and he would say, excellent reading of the text. You read it so well. You read it so clear. I love the way you did that. And we're sitting there going, that's about all you could say that was good from that. But this is the way in which we could do things. We don't have to lie. We don't have to shade the truth. But we don't have to make every effort to harm others. You know, Doeg, the Edomite, delighted in speaking the truth with malicious intent. You remember the story about the priests and Saul had asked the priests where David went and what they had done, and Doeg delighted to say, they helped David. That's the truth. And then, at Saul's order, he put them to the sword. There was no attempt to be honest there for the sake of truth and God. It was an attempt to hurt. So we don't want to speak in that way. But how can we tell others about Jesus if we are not known for the truth. Why should someone listen to you tell them about the gospel when they say, well, is that like that mechanic that you told me was a great mechanic and he doesn't know anything what he's doing? And I found out you got a kickback from people you send to him? 
if they know that we're given with falsehood in small things, why would anyone trust us with great things? And so we are to be a people of truth. The third thing that I want us to see is the truth and our reputation. I think a central part of this commandment is the forbidding of gossip. Leviticus 19, verse 16 puts it this way. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. Do not be a slanderer or a gossip. And unless you think that's an Old Testament thing, we could go to Romans chapter 1, where Paul lists all these horrific sins, murderers, adulterers, haters of God. And do you know what's right in the middle of that list? Gossips. Slanderers. Paul calls out that sin as well. And this is an area in which we need to guard our hearts as followers of Jesus Christ. This is actually another area where prayer gets us in trouble. Have you ever had the occasion or been tempted to say, you know, we really need to pray for Mrs. Jones. Do you know what's going on in her life? Do you know what she did? Do you know what her husband did and the kids? We really need to pray for her. Putting the words we need to pray for is not a magic eraser of gossip. It doesn't sanctify or baptize gossip. So we need to be very careful of that. We also need to be careful not to be scandalized in a way to rejoice in iniquity and repeat iniquity. We don't need to be speaking all the time about the gross sins of our society. We don't need to have it always on our lips as a way of showing how pure we are and how scandalized we are by this. And by the way, we're going to talk about it all day long. We don't want to do that either. But even more than not gossiping, we're called to protect others' names. There is to be no slander upon our lips. Psalm 15 puts it this way. He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, that is the righteous man. Who doesn't slander but speaks truth. And I think, in this sense, it's very simple. Jesus' golden rule applies. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Would you delight in others gossiping about you, slandering you, destroying your reputation? Even if it was true? Do you want others trumpeting every mistake you've ever made, every folly you've ever had? No. Instead, we should be known for covering sin with love. Proverbs 10 says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 4, And above all things have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. We should protect our neighbor's reputation. We should speak up for them. We should not rejoice in 
bringing to light their folly or their sin. This is fundamental to the ninth commandment. We also, I think, need to protect our own name. Now, what do I mean by that? That we should walk around and, and constantly on social media leave comments? That's not exactly true about me. You don't know the whole story about me. You need to take that back. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we need to protect our name first by not being conceited. We shouldn't think more of ourselves than we are. And, and we shouldn't allow others to be misled by silence. I think often we think it's sufficient for us not to speak falsehoods about ourselves. But if someone else says something that's not exactly true, well, we, don't, we don't need to correct them, do we? That might even be rude. Let's just let that nice positive statement stand out there. I was thinking about trying to find an example, and I was drawn to Acts chapter 5. You know, sometimes silence is there to make us look good. You remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira and how they sold a plot of land and did not give all to the apostles. And you will look in vain in that text for a statement from Ananias or Sapphira saying, we sold the plot for this much and we gave every penny to the apostles. No, what happened was the course of action in those days in the church was people sold something and they brought all that they made from it and brought it and laid it at the apostles' feet. And when anyone did that, it was just assumed that if, if they sold an animal or if they sold a piece of land, that they took all the profit of it and they gave it to the apostles. And so that's what Ananias and Sapphira were counting on. They sold something, they brought it and gave it to the apostles, and everyone assumed from silence that they'd given it all. They allowed silence to cover the truth. But Peter calls them on it. And do you remember how he does it? He says, you have lied to the Holy Spirit. You've broken this commandment. And not just to me, and not just to the church, but to God. Now there's one other aspect that I want to encourage you with, that I think is especially important in our day. We need to protect our own name by not unjustly accusing ourselves. You are not junk. You are made in the image of God. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus has shed his blood for your salvation. You are worthy in God's sight. And I think often we accuse ourselves and we denigrate ourselves and we're so dissatisfied with ourselves. And if we're honest, there are always people around who are willing to dump on us as well. And to be a part of that. But that's not being truthful. If we're going to be truthful, we have to see that we have value as people in the sight of our Lord. That all people have value as being made in the image of God. Well, God is truth. 
We need to speak truth, and especially we need to speak truth in the area of reputation. A few brief words of application as we close. Seeing this commandment and following it allows us as believers to be light in a dark world. The world delights in falsehood. It actually thinks it's clever and a positive attribute if you can deceive others. Not so followers of Jesus. No, we bring light. We bring truth. And that's critically important. Secondly, as we speak the truth, what we do is we put the welfare of others before our own. Because if we're honest about it, the truth doesn't always benefit us. Have you ever had the occasion of being in a store and you buy something and you should get a $5 bill back as change, and instead someone gives you a 20. You walk out into the parking lot, and you're like, ooh, I can go out and get something to eat for free. No, you don't. What you do is you turn around and you say, Miss, I'm sorry, I don't want your drawer to be short. You should have given me a 5. It must have somehow slipped your mind. You've given me a 20. Can, can we exchange this? Because that is the right thing to do. Honoring God is more important than $15. And that's true of almost every aspect of our lives. Finally, there's a very simple application to this commandment. When we speak the truth, when we honor the truth, it allows us to be like Jesus. Because Jesus always speaks the truth. Do you want to be like Jesus? We've said it before. Obey the Ten Commandments. That is what Jesus looks like. Jesus doesn't steal. Jesus is not unfaithful. Jesus does not murder. Jesus does not mock God. Jesus does not lie. And so a very simple application that's true each and every day and is so profound is as we speak the truth and do not lie, we become more and more like our Lord Jesus Christ. What more could you want than that? Let's pray.